To anoint you with fragrance and oil 
message is a continuation, really, of uh, four other messages, and in our series on Genesis. But the other messages were begun up at Lookout Mountain a year ago, and so if you're having trouble connecting the dots, I encourage you to go online and get those messages. You can read them or read some of them, listen to them. Um, they are The Helper, a very sexy creation, and then from down here, um, the image of God and marriage, a sneaky way to get a person crucified. And then last week's message, the sacrament of the covenant, okay? Um, let's pray. Father, um, I pray that you would guard us now, that you would wrap your fire around us, that you would cleanse us, and that you would guard us from the designs of the evil one, because, Lord Jesus, we're talking about that sacrament that you've built into our very bodies that the evil one has worked so hard to distort. Would you guard the people in this room from the lies of the evil one? Would you draw them into your presence, wrap your robes around them, and kiss them with your word? In Jesus' name I ask it, Father. Amen. It was 1979. Susan and I were seniors at Heritage High School in Littleton, Colorado. We were dating and very much in love. That same year, Michael Fleenor and Lisa Marie, Lisa Marie Lothmar were also seniors in high school, but on the west side of town. And they were dating and they were very much in love. They had been friends since childhood. Their families were friends. In fact, one day, Michael's uh, brother, Joe, um, he took them all to the basement and pretended to be the minister, and they had a wedding ceremony right there in the basement, Lisa and uh, Lisa Marie and, and Michael. Michael would send her love notes throughout her childhood, which she kept all of her life. As a child, he would say, one day, I'm going to marry that girl. Well, in 1978, they started dating for real. That's when Susan and I started dating for real, too. It was the spring of 1979, and they were preparing to graduate and dreaming of marriage when Lisa Marie uh, decided that she wanted to go on the senior spring break class trip to Mexico. Uh, that kind of worried Michael. For some reason, he didn't understand. He begged her not to go, but she said, I, I promise, it'll be okay. I'll be all right. And so she went. On the trip one night, 
the kids had a party on the beach. A group of local boys showed up, and there was alcohol. Lisa Marie had never really drank before this night, but this night she did. That group of Mexican boys deceived her, took her to a shack, and there they sexually assaulted her, beat her, raped her. She almost died. And in a way, I suppose she did, for she buried her heart. Michael was waiting for Lisa Marie at the bus station where he was planning to pick her up. He could hardly contain himself because he was hiding a $69 ring and he was rehearsing this question, Lisa Marie, will you marry me? When she got off the bus, he said, Lisa Marie, I have something that I got to tell you, something I got to say. And she said, well, I have something too. And he said, okay, well, you go first. She took a breath and she said, Michael, I want to break up. In shock, he asked why, and she couldn't tell him. She was distant and she was cold. Michael knew that he couldn't propose, not then, but he managed to say, Lisa Marie, um, I, bought you, I bought you a ring. I just want to give it to you. And she refused. See, it was the end of paradise for a very long time. Michael pursued her in the coming months. He called to her heart, saying, Where are you? But she hid her heart. She tried to hurt Michael's heart so he'd leave her alone. She was even intimate with some of Michael's friends, just hoping that his love would turn to hate because now his love burned her. His presence convicted her, made her hide in shame. She felt she didn't deserve Michael and did not deserve love. And because of that, Michael felt he did not deserve Lisa Marie. And he did not deserve love. We know nobody deserves love. God is love. And love is a gift. It's grace. Yet believing a lie, they both wrapped fig leaves around their hearts and hid their hearts in shame. Lisa Marie actually forgot the shack. I mean, she repressed it, and Michael never knew. Animated by a wound deep in the soul, Lisa Marie went on to marry another man, and that marriage fell apart after three years and two children. Then she married another man, an abusive, alcoholic man, and that marriage collapsed as well. Michael was suicidal for a time. He acted out of his pain. He eventually married, and that marriage fell apart. For Lisa Marie and Michael, paradise was a distant memory, like a ring in a box on a shelf. Michael had finally convinced Lisa Marie to at least keep the ring, and she did. She wasn't sure why. Michael wasn't sure why. It was like a seed of faith planted in a dry garden that had once been paradise. You know, paradise is a Persian word. 
describing a walled garden well-watered and full of pleasure and delight. That's actually what Eden means. When God made Adam, he put him in the paradise garden of Eden. And then he said this. He said, it's not good that the man should be alone. Somehow, Adam was in paradise. Adam is in paradise in the presence of God who is love, and yet somehow Adam is alone. Adam doesn't realize that God completes him, that God is his helper, and that knowing God is the real substance of paradise. You see, I don't think that Adam, which means mankind, I don't think Mankind, Adam, understands that he is created. In other words, I don't think he believes grace. Grace means gift. Adam doesn't understand that everything, everything is a gift of grace. And how could it be anything else? For we didn't create ourselves. We cannot deserve a thing. Everything is a gift from God who is grace and who is our helper. Well, in order to see grace, I mean to really see it, in order to know grace, it would make sense that we would need to be created and then in some way uncreated and recreated so that creature which was created could witness its own creation. In other words, we'd need to be created, somehow desecrated, and then redeemed. In other words, we'd need to be consigned to disobedience in order to see mercy. In other words, we'd need to be forgiven by our helper, who is grace. Well, that's a lot to ponder. But for now, just see that Adam doesn't realize God completes him. God is his helper. And so God begins the great lesson. He puts Adam to sleep, which is a euphemism for death, and then he fashions the woman, Eve, from his bleeding side. He brings the woman to the man, and the man says, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she completes me. We know that she doesn't really complete him. And he doesn't really complete her. And yet their union is a picture of the great union which completes us all. Sex is the sacrament of the covenant of marriage. And it's about God and us. As Paul writes, it refers to Christ and the church. Therefore, he quotes Genesis, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Well, Adam and Eve cleave, but I don't think they yet understand that it refers to Christ and the church. They don't yet understand that God must help them, that God must complete them. Next verse, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, I don't think that they should have been ashamed of their nakedness. And yet I doubt they understood how naked, how incomplete they really were. It's interesting that by the end of Scripture, when we see Eden again, nobody's naked. 
They're all clothed with some really crazy and outrageous clothes. Uh, Paul writes this, while in this tent, we yearn not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. You know, in the sacrament of the covenant of marriage, the groom clothes his bride with his very self, with his body and his blood. He is her covering. And get this, Jesus is our groom, and we're his bride. They were both naked, but didn't understand. Next verse. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. They meet evil, (laughs) the presence of the void. Remember, this is the sixth day. God is still making mankind in his image. He's still making us in his image. The evil one tempts Eve to create herself in God's image, to complete herself, to cover herself, to create herself, because, he argues, God cannot be trusted. You cannot rely on grace. So Eve takes from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil She gives some to Adam, who is with her. We'll talk about that more later. Immediately, they know that they're naked. They cover those parts where they are to be completed through the sacrament of the covenant of marriage, and they cover themselves. Did you get that? The selves that are be completed by God in the covenant of grace, the sacrament of the covenant of grace. They close their private parts with fig leaf underwear, and they close themselves, hiding in the trees, while God calls, where are you? And then God closes the paradise of Eden, placing the flaming sword and the cherubim at the eastern gate, which brings up a great question. (laughs) Where is Eden? Where is it now? You know, Orthodox Jews uh, argue that Eden is actually the site of the Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem, uh, that Eden was the spot of the temple uh, where you remember um, the cherubim guard the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. Some of the early church fathers said that Eden had descended into Hades. Some others argue that it had ascended into the lower parts of heaven. In the Revelation, it shows up in the New Jerusalem, which is a temple and a bride, and we are the bride and the temple and the city. In the Song of Solomon 4.12, we read this, A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. A garden locked is my bride. No, I'm not saying that Eden wasn't a physical place on the Temple Mount. I'm saying that in some amazing way, our soul is like a garden. And perhaps Eden in some way is within us, for we actually are God's temple. We actually are the New Jerusalem. We actually are the bride. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. And I will make in you a spring of living water, and you will bear fruit 
Well, if that's the case, and some of the garden is inside of us. When we fell, we were exiled from the deepest part of ourselves. The place where God goes walking, saying, where, where are you? Exiled from the breath. Whew. The Spirit of God within us. I don't know. But I do know that Satan wants us to be separated from God. He wants us to close our souls so we won't commune with God there in paradise. So last time we preached on how sex is a sacrament in the covenant of marriage, which refers to the communion with Christ in the covenant of grace, and how Satan attempts to desecrate the sacrament of the covenant of marriage so he can destroy its witness to the ecstatic, penetrating, impregnating, life-giving love of God. You know, when two people have sex, it's not only their bodies that are joined. Heart and soul are joined. And a covenant is sealed. When people have sex outside that covenant, hearts are fused and then torn. Hearts are raped and then closed in pain. A person might become promiscuous with their body, but they'll hide their heart in darkness and pain. <laughs> promiscuous with their body, but not their heart. My, my old pastor, Don Muma, who's a, a friend of mine, we used to serve at his church in uh, Bel Air, California. He was at some fundraiser dinner and sitting next to Hugh Hefner. During the course of the dinner, Hugh Hefner turned to Don and he said, Don, what is it that you got against my magazine? And Don had a brilliant response. He said, Hugh, it's not sexy enough. <laughs> See, great sex is a fusion of two hearts. A person might become promiscuous, but then their heart becomes frigid. When the sacrament is desecrated, we associate intimate communion with rape. And then when God goes walking in the garden, we hide for fear of rape. His presence feels like accusation. His appearance frightens us. His love burns our shame. And so at his coming, we shrink from his glory in shame. Just like Lisa Marie hid her heart from Michael. And hid her heart from herself. And hid her heart from God. And so you see, sex is not a bad thing like we talked about last week to be denied and repressed. Sex is a holy thing. It's a sacrament to be guarded with a covenant. When you sleep with someone, your heart makes a promise whether you do or not. And that tells you something about God. So tonight, I wanted to talk about guarding the sacrament by doing the following things. Number one, help kids get married. You know, in biblical times, um, youth uh, were married at the age of 12, 13, or 14. Mary was probably about 12, according to scholars. They were married often before they went through puberty. So puberty hit, and someone might say to you, hey, dude, you're horny. Why don't you have sex with your bride? Great timing, right? 
In modern culture, due to better nutrition, puberty comes early, but marriage and adulthood comes much later. You know, it was just about 150 years ago that modern society invented an entirely new class of people called teenagers. People that society viewed as children, but with bodies that screamed, adult, adult, adult. 1 Corinthians 7, 9. I think this is the most ignored scripture in all of modern Christendom. Quote, It is better to marry than burn with lust. (laughs) You know, I used to be confused as a youth pastor because I was always looking for this verse. I used to be confused how the term or phrase for premarital sex really isn't in Scripture. You, you, You can't really find a term for that. And then one day it hit me, in Scripture there is no such thing as premarital sex because to have sex is to get married. The sacrament seals the covenant. In Scripture, the punishment for premarital sex is marriage. That's your punishment. (laughs) It's no wonder. I mean, it's no wonder that teenagers in America are depressed. It's no wonder so many feel like they've been violated and divorced, for in reality, they have. So I think number one, and you don't have to agree with me, is we need to help kids get married. And number two, we need to help them stay married. We need to structure society in a way to help them do that. Number three, we need to ignore what the government says about marriage. The government does not define your marriage. And the government does not define your divorce. Why is it that people go to churches, get married, and go to the courthouse to get divorced? They don't have any say in what God has brought together. Stop listening to the government. Number four, if you're married, don't ignore the sacrament. 1 Corinthians 7, um, Paul writes this. Husbands and wives, you don't have authority over your own body. Your spouse does. So don't refuse each other, except perhaps, are you listening? Except perhaps for a short time of prayer. Um, I didn't mean to say that, sorry. She's wonderful. But then he goes on. Don't make that time of prayer too long so Satan can't tempt you through lack of self-control. In other words, celebrate the sacrament, married people. It's not an option, it's a command. The sacrament, the sacrament enforces the covenant. You see, it really is this beautiful setup. My desires force me to be naked and no longer hide. That's a God thing. Number five, flee from pornography and things that take your desire away from your groom or bride. Number six, honor the deep beauty of gender differences. Help those that struggle with homosexuality and gender struggles. You you see, it's not that God is uptight about meaningless biology. (laughs) Do you understand that? It's just that it's not meaningless biology. Through gender differences, God is telling us an incredible story about Christ and his bride. Number seven, we need to honor singleness. To go without the sign is not to go without the substance. Communion, intimacy. Christ was single on this earth for the most profound and intimate of reasons. He is to be wed to his spotless bride, the church. Some men are called to walk with him in that place. Some women are called to image that virgin bride. Number eight, we need to seek the substance more than the sign. (laughs) We're all dying. Have you noticed that? As we age, our ability to function sexually fades, and that's by design. 
the sign fades. So we'll seek the substance, deeper nakedness and more intimate communion. One through eight. I wanted to preach on all that stuff tonight, but I don't have time. <laughs> I wanted to preach on guarding the sacrament so we won't desecrate the sacrament. And then I realized that most of this room already has. Maybe all of this room already has. Jesus said, lust, and you've already committed adultery in your heart. Oh, that's the worst place to commit it. And whether or not we've committed adultery against our spouse, we've all already committed adultery against God. We've listened to the snake, surrendered our hearts to other helpers, and so shut down our gardens in shame. You see, I think our situation is just like this. Four hey. times. It means something, David. Four times. Stop the car. It's 24 hours a day. I live with this aching possibility that you might call me to do something. Yeah, let's go to your house and we'll talk this out. I want to see where you live. Let's just slow down. I want you to stop the car, Julie. I want you to stop the car. Don't you know that when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not? Tell me something, David. I mean, do you believe in God? surely die. We've all given our garden over to the wrong helpers. And that was the end of paradise for a long time. 24 years later, three marriages later, three children later, a world of pain later, at the funeral of Lisa Marie's father, Lisa Marie and Michael reconnected. They started seeing each other. For 24 years, she hadn't told a soul about the night in the shack. She had long since locked that dead garden and couldn't even go there herself. In the intervening years and through giving birth to children, weird verse in Scripture about that, but through giving birth to children, she had recommitted her life to Christ. People would ask her, though. They'd say, Lisa Marie, where does all the shame come from? And she couldn't tell them. She, she didn't know. In 2006, she had an argument with Michael, and all at once, the memories came flooding back, and she was in agony. And yet Michael, Michael loved her in the midst of all that shame. In fact, the very thing that she had kept hidden from him for 24 years, that very thing that she had hidden in shame, that very thing now became the greatest attraction to Michael. You see, it set him free from his shame. 
And it drew him to her in a flood of mercy. He longed, he longed for what? He longed to cover her nakedness. And you see, it wasn't just a nakedness that was skin deep. It was a naked soul. A soul to which he was so thoroughly attracted. But it wasn't just Michael that was attracted. It was somebody else in Michael. The second Adam, the ultimate Adam, returned into his garden. Lisa Marie entered counseling. One day the counselor walked her back into the memory and she had a vision. She saw Jesus there in the shack. He had descended into her death. He had descended into her locked garden of shame. And there he revealed that he had borne all of her sorrow and all of her pain. You know, the Jews believed that when the Messiah would return, he would open the locked doors to the Garden of Eden. And did you know that when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified in a tree in a garden? And did you know uh, that when Jesus was crucified on that tree in that garden, he said that he would romance all men unto himself there, and did you know that he was buried in a garden like a seed? And did you know that he rose from the grave in a garden? Well, Jesus descended into Lisa Marie's garden, her shack, and there he covered her nakedness with his righteousness, his grace. He is the helper fit for Lisa Marie, fit for you, and fit for me. Listen to Paul. God has consigned all men, all people to disobedience that he may have mercy on all, cover all, clothe all, fill all, complete all with mercy, his body and his blood. The bride of Christ is covered in the righteousness of her groom. Covered, finished, completed with truth, light, love, Life, grace. Our helper is grace. But you see, we must see our own nakedness to receive his grace. You know, Lisa Marie's body was naked in a shed in 1979. But Lisa Marie's soul was naked before Jesus and before Jesus and Michael in 2006. And because of that, his soul was naked before uh, Jesus in Lisa Marie at the same time. Just four months ago, I performed Michael and Lisa Marie's wedding ceremony. And like a mustard seed buried in dry ground, Lisa Marie had kept that $69 ring in a box, in a shelf, in a closet, and with that ring, they were wed. I'm Michael. I'm Michael. Take you, Lisa Marie. Take you, Lisa Marie. To be my wife. To be my wife. <laughs> to love, honor, and cherish you. To love, honor, and cherish you. All the days of my life. All the days of my life. To serve only God above you. To serve only God above you. This ring I give. This ring I give. As a symbol of our covenant. 
as a symbol of our covenant. Faith. Faith. And abiding love. And abiding love. It is my very great privilege to introduce to you. Did you do this part in the basement? Okay, so it is my very great privilege to introduce to you for the very first time Mr. and Mrs. Michael and Lisa Marie Fleenorn. <laughs> now, if I got some of the story wrong, you can ask them because they're right there in the third row. Okay, that's Michael and Lisa Marie. And you probably need to wrap your arms around them and cover them a little bit because they feel kind of naked right now, okay? But if you're thinking to yourself, gosh, that's beautiful. I wish that was my story. Well, I'm telling you, it is your story. You're Eve. And Jesus is the ultimate Adam, your bridegroom. God made us male and female so we would understand how God feels and what it is he wants, what life in his kingdom is all about, and what he's doing now. You see, he's come to the garden in fear. We nailed him to the tree, but that was even according to plan because he's romancing us into surrender that we might finally be completed in an ecstatic and eternal communion with him. That communion is not just a little spot on your body like an erogenous zone which you uncover to experience a little bit of pleasure before bed. Our entire being is to be naked and covered, empty in order to be filled, dead, then alive, lost, then found, darkness, then light, void, then full, lonely, then loved in ecstasy forevermore. My friend Sharon Hurst quotes Henry Van Dyke saying this, love is but the heart's immortal thirst to be completely known and all forgiven to be completely naked and completely covered in grace. Now, Michael and Lisa Marie have some really difficult, painful wounds from their past, wounds that they're having to deal with even right now. And yet, you see, they love each other in a way they could not have in 1979. <laughs> because they are naked in a way that they could not have been in 1979. Do you see what I'm saying? God uses all your fears, your failures, your pain to make space in you for grace and then show you His grace. Receiving His grace is the substance of paradise. No, it's even better than paradise. It's the new Jerusalem. So surrender your garden. None of us have done it fully yet. But he's our helper. <laughs> He'll get us there. Song of Solomon, chapter 4. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden. Let its spices flow. 
Oh, let my beloved come to his garden and eat his choicest fruits. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk by love. I don't know exactly what that means to you, but I'll tell you what it means to me. Last week, I was sitting right here in the front row of the sanctuary, and I was struggling because I had to preach on sex again and God. And I knew that it would be hard for some and for really valid reasons. And I knew that I'd feel naked. And I knew that I was afraid to risk my heart anymore. Last year, about this time, I was being tried and found naked by my denomination and the church that I had loved for 15 years. The church that I had loved by exposing my garden. Now I know, I'm sure I didn't do everything right, but I did give my heart. For about two weeks a year ago at that time, I would wake up every morning with this picture in my head. It was a very unusual picture for me. It was an image of me being raped. I don't think it referred to any particular person or some event in my distant past. I think it referred to principalities and powers and religious spirits and how my heart felt. So last week, I sat there with a closed garden, scared to preach. And as I sat there, I felt this like puff of air on my head. And I looked, and nobody was there. I thought, okay, that's kind of freaky weird. (laughs) I was looking at my notes, and then I felt this like puff on my hand. And I saw my notes do this. And I thought, okay, that's really weird. And I postulated some kind of weird phenomenon happening with the sound equipment up front, you know, like... (laughs) bass equipment giving off low vibrations or something. And then I felt it again, like on my side, uh, like a, like that, a puff. And, And I looked and no one was there. And then I felt it on my other side, like a puff. And then no one was there. During the songs, I was sitting here in the front row looking around going, what the heck is going on? It happened like 15 or 20 times. And then I just started laughing. And then I preached with joy. I didn't know what it was at the time. I mean, I honestly thought maybe Jesus was just messing with me, you know, because he does stuff like that. But I knew that it was something. It was some supernatural, weird, freaky thing. I didn't know what it was. And then last week I read this verse. Awake, O north wind. Come, O south wind. Puach. I looked it up. It means puff. Blow. Speak upon your garden. I think the Lord was saying, Peter, open your garden, naked, unashamed, and I will clothe you. Receive my spirit, preach my word, bear the fruit of life. I am your helper.
And so on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take, eat, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Do it in remembrance of me. And so we invite you to come forward, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. The darker cups are wine. The lighter cups are juice. They're both love. They're both grace. And do you get it? He is the helper fit for you. So eat, friends. Drink and be drunk with love. Surrender the garden that is your heart. That's what it is to be a Christian, to be a believer. And the sacrament seals a covenant. So as you come forward, in your heart, Just say, Lord, come to my garden. I surrender my garden. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel and worship. Amen. And so the spirit in the bride says, come, Lord Jesus, come. Maranatha. And we thank you that even now you're breathing on our garden. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, uh, just a few reminders. Um, if you're interested in uh, children's ministry, talking about the programs and things, there's a meeting in the parlor. If you'd like prayer, our ministry team will be meeting with people in the chapel, and a few of them will also be back here in the corner. The band will keep uh, playing for a while if you'd like to stay in worship. If you'd like to just chat with people, that's great too. You can do that uh, in the entryway. Next week, I really encourage you to be here. I have a friend that's sharing a, a wonderful story. And uh, then the next week, we'll talk about the fruit of the sacrament and how that works. Um, but uh, um, by way of benediction, make this your prayer, okay? Um, this is the way, this is the last chapter of the Song of Songs. And I think we're supposed to pray something like this. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death, its order as fierce as hell. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. In Jesus' name, believe that your bridegroom has offered everything for you. Amen.